so excited to be gathered around the throne of our King together corporately worshiping Jesus Christ and being able to look back and think back upon his faithfulness is a huge blessing. Welcome to all of our first time visitors. We are grateful that you are here. There's a few of you here and we're, we're grateful you being here really does bring us joy. Um, and, and I say it all the time, but if you do not have to rush out, we'd love to say hi to you and get to hear your story and get to hear a little bit about you. Uh, so thank you guys for coming. We are a church that solely believes that we exist to join Jesus and his mission to redeem our city. Uh, and and the, the big part I really want to highlight with that is that we're joining Jesus. We're not doing anything new. We're not bringing Jesus to Brooklyn, but we're joining along with what he's been doing, not for years, not for months, not for decades, but we're talking centuries of faithfulness to this borough. And we get to play a small part in that. And we're just grateful for that. Listen, we have a lot to do today in terms of the text and a short amount of time to do it. And so if you guys could indulge me and go ahead and grab your Bibles and meet me in Psalms 23. I know that's a long way away from first Peter, but if you guys could flip back to the old Testament and join me in Psalms 23, we are taking a slight break this week from our normal sermon series through the book of first Peter. We have been going through the book of first Peter for uh, eight weeks. Now we're in chapter two and we're just working our way through that book and just seeing what Peter has to say to us about how we are supposed to live as exiles, uh, particularly under persecution and under suffering. Peter has done a great job in doing that. But today I've, I just felt drawn to Psalms 23, an Old Testament passage that is very familiar. Uh, as soon as we start reading it, as soon as you start looking at it, uh, I'm almost certain that it would be familiar to you, even if you have no familiarity with the word of God or with the scripture. Psalms 23 is just one of those passages. Uh, before we get into it, let me just quickly highlight one of the announcements, and that is that there is no small groups for the rest of, not the rest of, but for the month of June. Um, but I also want to take this moment to publicly express my, my love, affections, and gratitude for all of our small group leaders and all of our small group hosts. If you are a small group leader or, dang, that's what I'm talking about. If you're a small group leader or host, if you would do me a favor, stand up, because we'd love to just show some love to you. If you lead a small group or host one, amen. Amen. A few of them are working as well. So we're grateful for you guys. We don't ever want to not show appreciation and love. It takes a lot for you to open up your house every single week to allow people to drag their messy lives into your house and mess up your couch and your, your you know, mess up your carpet, leave food behind. You know, it takes a lot. And then it takes a lot for our facilitators, our leaders to Every week, get off of work, rush to go to small group to be able to lead their group and care for their group, not just lead a discussion, but actually care for the hearts of the people that are part of their group. So we're grateful for them and we are giving them, we're modeling what it looks like, what Exodus uh, chapter 20 talks about rest. So we're modeling what that looks like, even within our small group. So we're taking a break off and we'll pick back up in July. All right, Psalms 23. Thankful for my boy being here, Kenny from, uh, Kenny, wave your hand, brother. This is my boy. Y'all pray for him. He is planting a church, uh, the Gathering Church in Harlem, and, uh, and they are doing an amazing work. I mean, they had New York Times there at their Bible studies this week. I'm like, we have New York Times at our Bible study. <laughs> Amen. Grateful for him and the faithfulness that, that the Lord is doing uptown. All right. Psalms 23. 
Y'all know how we'll do. I'll expositionally just walk through all six verses, really the whole chapter. Uh, So all six verses we'll work through. Pick me up in verse number one. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You should circle these two things that our our shepherd has with him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of my days. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You should also underline that word forever. I simply want to highlight and preach from a topic entitled Our Great Shepherd. Y'all know I try to get a little charismatic every now and then. So go ahead and look at your neighbor and say, Our Great Shepherd. shepherd. Come on, that one wasn't feeling you. Look to the next neighbor and say, Our Great Shepherd. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for the ability to be able to gather amongst your body. As much as we try to be lone rangers and and Christian freelancers, uh, we need your body. And we thank you for the ability to be able to gather around the centrality of your word. Thank you, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that it would pierce down to the heart today. Deuteronomy 8.3, may that be living and active in this room. And that is that man can't live by bread alone, but we live by every word Every word, every word, every period, every, every dot, every, every comma, every word, we want to live by it. And that is the word that you have breathed out. We believe that your word is infallible. We believe that it is inspired. We believe that it's perfect. It's without error. And today we believe that it will guide us to the heart of you. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to us today right out of what you've already spoken in your word. Don't allow me to add anything to the text. Allow me not to shut my mouth if I take anything away from it. But Father, I pray that the word would just flow in this room for your glory. As the text says, for your name's sake. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Our great shepherd. Psalms 23 is one of the most well-known of all of the Psalms. It's actually one of the most beloved of all the Psalms. Uh, One of my favorite theologians, Charles Hatton Spurgeon, uh, he was a theologian, but also Uh, the pastor of the Metropolitan Baptist Church in London, England in the mid-1800s, he he has coined this chapter as the Pearl of the Psalms. And it really is. In many ways, Psalms 23 is like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Even non-believers that don't know Jesus, that don't believe in the Bible, they know Psalm 23 and probably could quote it better than some of us that come to church every single week. And, And this Chapter is often memorized by children. It's often read at sick beds, and I've preached it at a funeral. It's often quoted at celebrations. It's often put into songs. This chapter is often made into a song, and I'm not surprised that it's often put into a song because David, the psalmist, wrote this as a song. Psalms 23 is a song, and this is interesting for us because what you'll notice with songs is songs have the ability to help us to memorize. When we want to teach our kids their ABCs, we don't talk them through their ABCs. We sing the ABCs to them because we want them to memorize. What better passage to memorize about the faithfulness of our God than a song like Psalm chapter number 23? Songs have the ability to get stuck in our heads. You ever heard of the the term an earworm? 
Earworm is a, is a song or a tune that gets stuck in your head and you can't get it out. I, I had an earworm yesterday. I was uh, singing. I don't have no clue why fellas are going to judge me hard on this one. Britney Spears, Oops, I Did It Again. It was kind of in my, <laughs> it was just in my spirit yesterday and I couldn't get it out of my mind. According to a Cincinnati, see, I told you, don't take that back to Harlem. I get no street cred for that one. There, there's a Cincinnati professor by the name of uh, Dr. James Kelleris, a.k.a. Dr. Earworm. He did a research, and the research showed that 98% of us, uh, the, of the people living, have experienced an earworm at some point. And 73% of that 98% typically have earworms that have lyrics to them. You're not just humming a tune. We typically are humming a song. And once again, it is a great way for us to memorize. I, I want to prove it to you that we memorize best when we're singing psalms, our songs. Let me prove it to you because I can sing a song to you guys that y'all probably haven't heard in two decades. And you'll be able to pick it up and start to sing every single word. Like some of us in here could hear a song that we haven't heard in a long time and recall where we were when we first heard it. We can recall the room we were in, what we were wearing, what the smell of the room was. And so I want to prove it to you that two, a two-decade-old song, we could sing together, and you guys will be able to memorize it. Now, at the expense of embarrassing myself, I'm going to sing the song or start to rap it. And I want you guys, if you know the song, don't be shy. I need you to just join right in. Let's see if y'all remember this one. In West Philadelphia, born and raised, on the playground is where I spent most of my days. Chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cooling, all shooting on b-ball. When a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight in your mind and said you I whistled for a cab, and when it came near, the license plate said fresh and had a dice in the mirror. If anything, I thought that this cab was rare, but I thought, no, nah, it's one more verse. I pulled up to the house about your home, smell you later. Looked at my kingdom, I was fine to sit on my throne, not the principal there. Boo, boo. Come on, y'all. Y'all acting like y'all don't remember it. It's so funny. Some of y'all can sing that song but can't memorize the scriptures. I don't get it. I don't get it. Y'all knew all the words. It was popping and everything. Listen, if you didn't grow up on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I mean, you missed some serious good sitcoms. I don't know what we got out today. But that stuff back in the day, that and Martin and all that stuff, that was some good sitcoms right there. Music has an amazing way of helping us to memorize. And I think it's by, see how I slip right back in the sermon? I think it's, it's by God's good design that music actually involves our hearts and it involves our emotions and it involves uh, our thinking and it involves uh, the, the things that are deepest down into our heart. And what better way to memorize the faithfulness of a good shepherd than to look at Psalms 23, a song, and try to memorize this one? Again, non-believers and believers have committed this one to memory, but I'll go so far as to say that I just believe that Psalms 23 is an exclusive testimony of those who have trusted in the work of Jesus Christ. A non-believer can't claim the promises that are in Psalm chapter 23. This is only for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're looking at, uh, I have an ESV Bible and above my passage, the, the ascription above it says a Psalm of David. 
So we know that David wrote this passage. Now, we do not know if David wrote this when he was a young shepherd boy. We do not know if David wrote this when he was an old wise king. We do not know if David wrote this psalm when he was in a joyous season or if he was in a season that was threatening, full of difficulties. But what we do not know about our passage today does not hinder us from what we do know about our passage. Here's what we know, that David trusted in Jesus Christ as his shepherd. Question on the table is, have you trusted him as your shepherd? And yes, Jesus Christ is the, is the good shepherd in this text. Don't make a mistake. Don't twist this and put yourself. You know who we are in the text? We're the dumb sheep. Jesus Christ is always, always, always the hero of the text. And so Jesus is the shepherd in this text. Let me prove it to you. Let me put some Bible there. John chapter 10, verse 11 says this. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So we, we know he's the good shepherd. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, listen to this, the great shepherd of the sheep. Okay, so he's the good shepherd. Hebrews 13 says he's the great shepherd. Then the text tells us in 1 Peter 5, verse number 4, it calls him the chief shepherd. So we see that he's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. Text tells us in 1 Peter 5, 4 that he is the chief shepherd. The question on the table that we need to wrestle with and answer by the time we get to the end of this chapter is, is he your shepherd? Have you trusted the guidance of Jesus Christ? And I I really want to push that to you because if you replace yourself in this text and think that you are the shepherd and you're caring for the sheep, you are wrong. Listen, I'm the lead pastor of this church and I'm a dumb sheep. Jesus is the real senior pastor at Epiphany Church and he's the one that's going to shepherd our souls. Why don't you pick me up in verse number one? Because just as I said, is he your shepherd? David is very clear and at the onset, at the first verse, David is clear that God, that Jesus Christ is his shepherd. Look at verse number one. Watch the personal pronouns that David decides to use here. The Lord is my shepherd. Here it is again. I shall not want. Twice he used my, and then he uses the word I to show that he is his personal savior. And this statement actually would have shook the readers of biblical times. And the reason this would have shook the readers of biblical times is because they typically would identify God as our God. Not as a personal God. Let me prove it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Oh, hear Israel, our Lord God. What you need to understand is that, yes, God is the God of Israel, but he's also the God of an individual. So Epiphany Church, he's the God of Epiphany Church, but he's also the God of you individually in here. Do not twist that. Do not think he's just the God of the body, but he's also the God of you, your personal God. Now, I'm not surprised that David wrote this passage and wrote about a sheep shepherd metaphor. And the reason I'm not surprised is because David himself was a young shepherd. So David would have known the, the, what it took to actually care for a sheep. And he also would have known how rebellious sheeps are. Sheep are. Is it sheeps? Sheep. Sheep. He would have known how rebellious sheep are. And so David is a perfect person in our text to talk to us about this metaphor. And he identifies himself, even though he was a shepherd, he identifies himself in this text, not as the shepherd. But even in this text, he identifies himself as the sheep. Please notice the present tense language. He says in the text, the Lord is my shepherd. He's not 
looking back at a time when the Lord was his shepherd. He's not looking forward at a time when the Lord will be his shepherd. But this is a real-time testimony of the present shepherding of Jesus Christ. Jesus is holding you and I down in this room as your shepherd presently right now. You don't have to think back far to say he used to hold me down. He's not holding me down anymore. No, he's holding you down even right now. And so David, listen, David is all over this. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And he says, I shall not want. He's showing that in Jesus Christ, he wants for nothing. See, that is, that is really what Christianity is. Christianity is not that you get Jesus plus a bunch of stuff. Christianity is you get Jesus and he's enough. David says, I don't want for anything. And the problem is many of us in this room have desires for Jesus, but we also have desires for a bunch of other stuff. Listen, everything else pales in comparison to Jesus. Nothing is on his level. At least nothing should be on his level. Now, there's two powerful statements that as we work through the text, two powerful statements that David makes in verse number two, two of them. He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's number one. Here's the second powerful statement. He leads me beside the still waters. These two statements continue the shepherding sheep metaphor. And and what you see here in the first one is that the Lord provides refreshment. Look back at the text. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sheep cannot go fishing. Sheep can't dig up their own food. She can't go into a refrigerator and pull out some food in order for sheep to be able to eat and get refreshment and nourishment. They have to rely on their shepherd. Have you relied on your shepherd to the point where if he's not feeding you, you are malnutrition. If he's not feeding you, you're not eating correctly. So the Bible says that he makes me to lie down, but not just in any old pasture. The text doesn't say, please pick this up. The text doesn't say in verse number two, he makes me to lie down in pasture. It says he makes me to lie down in green pasture. It's very important for us. The reason that's important is because when sheep would get really hungry, they typically would eat anything in sight. So they would eat it even if it was poisonous or dangerous to them. And so what the text is telling us is, The Lord doesn't just lead us into places that we just eat anything, but for our refreshment, he leads us into places that are green pastures. And anything that you eat outside of Jesus Christ is malnourished. It will make you sick and it may taste good for a moment. Let's be real. Sin, Sin ain't like, man, I had a miserable life of sin. No, you probably enjoyed it, but it always catches up with us at some point. I was at my pastor's house, Dr. Eric Mason, and we were sitting in back. It had to be about 1.30 in the morning. We were sitting out back at his house and around a fire pit, and we were just talking and kicking it. And, and out of nowhere, we both just got extremely hungry. So we were like, man, what's close enough that we can walk to, grab something to eat, and come back? So Wendy's was the closest thing. Now, I don't eat fast food except for Chick-fil-A. That's like glorified. <laughs> you know, that got something in it right there. That's glorified fast food. But I was like, man, let's, let's go ahead and do it. I don't eat Wendy's. I'm going to just go and I'm going to grab like some nuggets or something like that. But I was hungry. So we finally get to Wendy's and I start looking through the menu and I ended up walking out with a triple stack burger, <laughs> large fries and the nuggets. 
And so we was ghetto. So we walked up the street and started eating it while we walking back to the house. Get back to the house. We finish it. We sit down. We finish our conversation. I lived down the street. So I ended up just walking back home. And by the time I got home, I jumped in the shower. By the time I got in the bed, something just started bubbling in my spirit. It almost felt like I swallowed like a bag of nails and it just like was ripping my insides. I enjoyed that triple stack burger for the moment, but it did catch up with me. And some of you in here, you're, you're trying to live your spiritual life off of fast food. And you don't even know you're sick yet. But you will get, it will catch up with you at some point. Yeah, I see it. Come on, y'all. At some point, it's going to catch up with you. You will be, mal- you will not grow off of fast food. But the Bible tells us that he leads us to where? Green pastures. He leads us to a place that we can get genuine nutrients. And once he leads you to the pasture, note the force in the text. The Bible doesn't say he just leads you there, but it said he makes me to lie down. Because what sheep would do is some sheep wouldn't know when they had it good. And so uh, when the herd of sheep went to a place that they could graze, some of them would immediately sit down and start to eat. But there was a few rebellious ones that would stand up. And the shepherd would go to the sheep and lovingly force their head down so that they could eat. You in this room should be excited that the Lord makes you to lay down. He makes you even when you don't want to. Anybody ever not felt like it? I didn't feel like getting up. I didn't feel like community. I didn't feel like small group. My DNA partner was getting on my nerves. I didn't feel like that. The Lord makes us to lie down into green pastures. Text goes on. So that's the first powerful statement. Second powerful statement in verse number two. Verse number two. He leads me beside the still waters. Once the sheep have satisfied their hunger and and got nutrients from the green grass, they were thirsty and they needed something to drink. The Bible says that the shepherd leads them to the still water. And just as the pasture had to be green, note that the text tells us that the water has to be still. This is important for us because what sheep would do is sheep were dumb. They would run into wading water when they were thirsty and their coats, their fur would get wet and they would lose their equilibrium and fall into the water and drown. And so a good shepherd knew in order for the sheep to drink the water, he would have to take rocks and build a dam along the stream. And so while the rushing water was going, there was a rock, like a bed of rocks that he made that made that section of the water still. And the sheep would go and drink from the still water. So when David, see, David knew this as a shepherd. David would have done this. So David says, listen, he doesn't just care for your your refreshment and your nutrients, but he also cares for you to the point where he don't want you to run into the water. Your equilibrium knocks you off balance and you drown. No, I'm going to build rocks so that you can drink out of water. He keeps you safe. Even when you don't know you're being kept safe. Anybody ever was supposed to leave the house at a certain time and you ended up leaving the house late. And then when you finally rushed out and got out of the house, you were heading along, heading along the route that you always take. And there was an accident on the side of the road. And you were like, Dad, if I left like five minutes earlier, that could have been me. That's the Lord leading you to steal waters. He stops you from running into waters that are running fast that you could end up drowning. So the Bible tells us, listen, he leads us to green pasture, but he also takes you and leads you to the still waters. Let's keep going in the text because we have a lot more to do and I don't have that much time. Verse number three. It says, I love this. I got stuck here this week. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. In verse 1 and 2, it describes how good the shepherd is. But even though the shepherd is good, there are time, times where the sheep still stray off and need restoration. Restoration is just bringing them back into a place that they once were. There are times where sheep will run off. Let me put Bible there as where Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone from his own way. Luke 15 records a story. It's three different parables in that chapter. And one of the parables, the first parable is about a lost sheep. Bible says that this shepherd has a hundred sheep and he loses one, which is crazy to me because you got 99 sheep. Why do you care about the one? Bible says that he leaves the 99 in the open country of the open field and he goes after that one. And when he finds it, he does not break his legs. He does not slap him. He does not reprimand him. He does not fuss at him. The text tells us in Luke 15 that he picks it up and he throws it on his shoulders. Here's restoration. And he brings it back to the sheepfold. This is interesting. And then if that's not enough, the text tells us in Luke 15 that he, when he gets home, he gathers his friends together so that they can rejoice about that lost sheep coming back. Exactly. Hear me. The Lord cares about your restoration. And if you're in this room and you are struggling with a life full of unconfessed sin, you should repent today because the Lord wants to restore you. Like he didn't have to. He could have left left verse three completely out. But the Lord wants to restore you. He desires to restore you to the point where Luke 15 says he will gather his friends together. Holy Spirit, come here. Jesus, come here. Let's rejoice because my lost sheep, he was lost, but now he is back home. The Lord wants to restore you. And I don't know why I'm sticking here, but there are some of you in this room that are stuck in that cycle of sin. And he, listen, this is the crazy part about it. Nobody knows that you're in that sin. And the sin probably, I'm not trying to be prophetic, but the sin probably revolves around some type of perversion. Some of you are addicted to porn. Like, let's be, can we be honest in the room? Some of you are addicted to sinful relationships. Some of you are addicted to homosexuality. Some of you are addicted to heterosexual sinful relationships. Some of you are addicted to flirting with somebody else's husband. I'll go so far as to say some of you have slept with somebody else's husband. Some of you are addicted to frequently masturbating. Yes, I'm going a little bit raw today. But the reality is the text tells me today he does not want to punish you. It says he wants to restore you. He restores my soul. He restores my soul. That should sit. And we could end the, the text right there. He restores my soul. And if you're in here and you have that sin, listen, talk to somebody today. Don't think that tomorrow I can deal with it. No, today, talk to somebody because he wants to restore you. In the book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, W. Philip Keller tells how a shepherd would raise his sheep. I'm, I'm at the end of verse number three now because I'm moving a little quick. Verse number three says he, he does it. He leads us in the path of righteousness. But it's something, he says something interesting. For his name's sake, it's not about, he's not restoring you because you're so cute. He's restoring you for his name's sake. And so in this book, he talks about how sheep would, how shepherds would raise sheep for their wool. And then when, after he raised them for their wool, he would take them to the marketplace to sell them so that a merchant could buy this wool. 
But he would pick the path that he was going to sell them. The, he, he would pick the path to the merchant's place. He would pick it carefully because he doesn't want to pick a place that's rocky that the, the sheep could fall over and, and hurt himself. Or, or worse, an animal come and maim them. And so when he picked them there, it was very custom for the merchant to look at the sheep and examine the sheep to make sure the sheep was in good condition. But the book goes on to say in, in this uh, Philip Keller's book, it goes on to say that there were a few shepherds in that time that the merchant would see the shepherd and not even look at the sheep based on the reputation of the shepherd. Shepherd always has good sheep. And so there were some sheep that would come in and they would examine it and look at it. But there was every now and then a shepherd would come that would always sell good sheep. And when that shepherd came, the examiner would say, I'll take it based off the reputation of the shepherd. Do you note that the text tells us that this is for his name's sake? So you being a good sheep or you being a spotless sheep has nothing to do with your behavior, but everything to do with the reputation of Jesus Christ. Here's the gospel. You and I will stand before God one day. And when we stand before God, he will not examine you based on your behavior. He'll look at the shepherd and say, you're in because of him. You're in because of my son, Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. And because of him, you and I in this room get accepted because of his namesake. That's what the text tells us. Let's keep going. Verse number four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Verse number two showed that we were in green pastures. Verse number two also showed that we were in still water. But by the time we get to verse number four, we now see that we're in the shadow of death valley. Which is interesting because David's confidence in the Lord isn't shaken in verse number four. The same confidence that David had at green pasture and at still water in verse number two, he still has that same confidence in verse number four. Note the wording that he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, here's the confidence. I'll fear no evil because you are with me. I'm gonna, I want to tell you something that you're probably not going to hear on TBN. You're not going to hear it on Daystar. You're not going to hear it on the Word Network. That was a little jab, but whatever. I'll keep going. Let me tell you something. The Death Valley is unavoidable. Listen to me. You will go into a valley. I'm not going to tell you once you meet Jesus, everything will work out and you'll never. No, you meet Jesus and he takes you straight into a valley. That's how it works. Like you ever, like you meet Jesus, you are good, like everything's going well in your life. You're wearing your John 316 bracelet. You got your, you know, what would Jesus do t-shirt. You know, you got up at six o'clock, no, 530 for prayer that morning. That day is the day that the Lord will lead you into a valley. So it's unescapable. It's unavoidable. But please note something very important that even though we're in the valley, something very important that you notice. Jesus is in the valley with us. Do you note the presence of our shepherd? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. It would have been a great promise if the text said, once we get out of the valley, then Jesus will be there. But the text doesn't tell us that. It tells us while we're in the midst of a valley, Jesus will be there. It's unavoidable. I'm telling you, it's inescapable. I was talking to one of my mentors, Dr. Paul Tripp, and I was telling him, he was asking me about the church, and I was like, man, things are going so well, I'm waiting for something to go wrong. And his response was, it will go wrong because he loves you. I'm like, and he just walked, you know, he's spiritual, so he just, with that mustache, just kind of walk away. 
I'm like, wait, you got to give me something else. But that's so, it, was so, it was so biblical what he was saying. He's saying, you will go through. I promise you in this room, you will go through. I don't care if you speak those things that are not as though they were. I don't care how much faith you have, you will go through. In fact, your faith will lead you on in it. So your death valley could be a sickbed. It could be a bad relationship. Your death valley could be a divorce. It could be an unemployment line. Your death valley could be the death of a loved one. Whatever your death valley is. In fact, it's not, just, it's not a death valley. It's a shadow of a death valley. It's actually not the real thing anyway. It's a shadow of the real thing. But the text says something important. It tells us that he is there. This, this, is, this is Matthew 28 playing out. This is the Great Commission. At the end of the Great Commission, he says all this stuff. At the very last verse of the Great Commission, he says, and behold, I am with you. Y'all know the text. I'm always with you. So even I'm with you when you're out of the valley, but even when you're smack dead in the midst of it, I'm with you even there. Psalms chapter 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. Isaiah 41, verse number 10, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. The shepherd is with us in the valley. But he's not only with us in the, sh- in the death valley, in the shadow of the death valley. The Bible tells us that he's not there empty-handed. Look at what he has in his hand. I told you to circle it. It says that he has a rod and a staff. The rod is there to use to to ward off evil. If wolves come, the rod will be able to poke the evil ones away. And it's also used to direct the sheep to keep them to going in the right way. But the staff is also there, which has a crook at the end of the stick. And and that's there for when you wander off, it can just pull you back in. The shepherd is in the valley with you to pull you back in, but also to keep the evil schemes of the devil off of you. We got to keep going for time's sake. I wish we had like two more hours. I know y'all don't. You know, as a preacher, you just want to keep, you just want to keep going. Psalms 23 is called the, the shepherd psalm. That's what it's, it's called. And the reason it's called the shepherd psalm is because of this, this shepherd sheep metaphor that David uses. But I'll go so far as today is to say there's actually two metaphors that are used in Psalm 23. Yes, it talks about a sheep, the, the, the good shepherd. Yes, it's talking about that. But if you keep reading in verses 5 and 6, it also talks about how God is a gracious host. Look at verse number 5. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. In ancient times, when a host would have a guest over his house, it, it was the binding custom of ancient hospitality that the, the host takes full responsibility for his guest. And so really what David is, if he's thinking about that as he's putting the pen to the paper in Psalm 23, David's enemies aren't really David's enemies. David's enemies, once he's under the hosting care of God the Father, are actually God's enemies. And here's what you need to know about God. You don't want to be an enemy of God. You can be an enemy. So your, your greatest enemy is not the person that's lurking on Facebook. Your greatest enemy is not your hater. Your greatest enemy is not the person that's talking about you behind your back. The greatest enemy you have is Satan himself. But he's actually not your enemy if you're under the house hospitality of God. It's actually God's enemy. And And let me tell you something about God. God doesn't fight fair. Like if you read Colossians, the Bible says he disarms the rulers. 
He takes their weapons from them and then beats them. That's the goodness that we have in God. And this is why you and I don't have to stay up in the middle of the night trying to think about our next step and what we're going to do next. No, we can sleep and let God handle because he's a gracious host. The Bible says that he prepares a table in the presence of our enemy. God protects us. We'll land the plane here. Verse number six. Surely, I love these two, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It would have been enough if David would have promised either goodness or mercy. But the text tells us that both goodness and mercy doesn't just sit at your table. It follows you everywhere you go at work. Goodness and mercy in the street. Goodness and mercy around around your non-believing friends. And I hope that you have around you people that don't know Jesus so that you can witness to them. Goodness and mercy are following you everywhere you go. And the supreme evidence of the goodness and the mercy of God is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's supreme evidence. Jesus Christ on the cross provides to you ultimate goodness and provides to you ultimate mercy. Not just mercy, but as as, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 will say, great mercy. As the beginning of 1 Peter says, great mercy. That's what the Lord has for you. And so on the the strength of the shepherd, you and I in this room are accepted. Purely based on the strength of the shepherd. I'm told of a story. Amen. Amen. I'm told of a story of of two flocks uh, of sheep that were grazing in adjacent fields. And the only thing that separated these two flocks was a fence. Now, on one, side of the, on one side, the flock was sickly, and they, they, were, they were malnutrition because of the negligence of their shepherd. And on the other side of that fence, the other, uh, the, the other group of, of sheep was strong, and they were healthy. And one day, one of the sick and weakly sheep goes up to the fence, and he just plops down, and he's about to die. And all of the strong sheep on the other side are, are walking by, and they're mocking him, and they're laughing at him. And the strongest sheep comes up to the fence and he looks at the sick one and the sick one says, go ahead and join the others in mocking me. And the strong one says, I won't mock you because if it was not for my shepherd, I'd look just like you. That's all of us in this room. Do not walk out of here and think that you are so great and that you're such a good, healthy sheep because of you. You are a good, healthy sheep because of Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know why I'm stuck in verse number three, that he restores my soul. Some of you in this room are in desperate need of that restoration. You've gone long enough. Let me just go ahead and put you on blast. You've gone long enough hiding it. You've gone long enough appearing like things are going well. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. You've gone long enough not confessing it. But many of you in this room need to do business with the Lord. You have a good shepherd that is willing to restore you. Listen to me. If you could lose your salvation and be out of the sheepfold, you would do it. But you're only in it because the shepherd has left the 99 and went after you. Listen, he'll go to great lengths to get you. We're in need of Jesus Christ. And all of us were at one point in need of restoration. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. 
and how you cause us to respond to you, how you've given us another chance. What grace. Father, we should be met right now at this altar with judgment from you. We should be met right now at this altar with wrath. But Father, it is by your grace and by your mercy that you've wooed us to you, that you've called us to you. And I thank you for each and every person that has come to this altar. And those that are sitting in their seats that are still in hiding, would you ransom their hearts now? Would you rescue them from a life of sin? Father, we just, I mean, this life is hard. We just want to be right with you. Father, would you, you tell us in the text that you do lead us to righteousness, but it's for your name's sake. Father, I thank you for the, for the man and these women that came down. And I pray, oh God, that they would walk back to their seats with a renewed sense of confidence in you, with a renewed sense of forgiveness. They are forgiven. They are forgiven. Like that's amazing. They are forgiven by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Father, what they came to this altar for, help them to realize that it was dealt with on the cross. There's no sin big enough to outdo the cross. So Father, I thank you. I pray, oh God, that they will walk in a manner that is worthy of their calling. Pray that they would follow you and that their appetites would be hungry for you and that everything else would be just taste bad, just be disgusting. Help us to feast off of you in the green pastures. It's in Christ's name that we give glory and thank you for the boldness of these. In Jesus' name, amen.